Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. In this podcast, you'll learn actionable strategies to deal with infertility from Dr. Michael Chapman, or Prof as he's affectionately known. Prof is the co-founder of IVF Australia and is a leading Australian infertility specialist who has helped over 3,000 couples realise their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr. Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. That first cry of a baby born after the long journey of IVF remains one of the most beautiful experiences in the world. As an obstetrician and an IVF specialist, I've had the privilege of experiencing this over many thousands of times in my long career, but I still remain moved by each baby's first cry. It signifies the end of a long journey and the beginning of a new life. This is Professor Michael Chapman, co-founder of IVF Australia and host of the IVF Journey podcast. Thanks for tuning in. To access all the previous episodes, head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. Last podcast, I introduced you to Liz Ellis and the book that she's written. Liz, she talk about the journey of infertility mm-hmm. in a general sense. And the reason you wrote the book was that you'd been through your own experiences. Perhaps you'd like to tell us a little bit about those experiences and some of the things that you would say to people about dealing with that. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the first thing I would say was it's interesting in my conversations with you as I was writing the book that you believe as well. We often think of infertility treatment as being you try to fall pregnant for six months or 12 months or a period of time. When you don't, well, the next very, very next thing you should do is go to IVF. But IVF is the treatment of last resort. Correct. And between that, there is actually a whole raft of treatments that your fertility specialist can talk you through and guide you to. A good one will. A good one will. That's exactly right. So I would say to people, to anyone who's listening to this, find a fertility specialist who is interested in your fertility and who isn't interested in selling you IVF. There are some people without a doubt for whom IVF is where they need to go. Absolutely. You know, for us, we had fertility drugs. We fell pregnant and then we miscarried. We looked at actually natural options and we went to a naturopath and we did acupuncture and I suspect that even though they did not lead to us becoming pregnant, they actually put, made us pretty healthy and they put us in a pretty good space to maybe conceive on our own. Now, that there is no medical evidence for that at all. Correct. And, you know, there is a lot of argument. That we take. Here we have an Olympic sportsman saying that the naturopath made her fitter. Right? <laughs> no, it gave me shiny hair. All right, okay. <laughs> and strong fingernails. And, you know, like I laugh. 
But we wanted to have a look around and see mm. what was available because for us, IVF was a treatment of last resort. Mm. Now, I'm quite strong in the book, the fact that I wish I had seen a naturopath and done it concurrently with my treatment rather mm. than doing one and then the other because right. it delayed us. Yeah. So there's lots of things that you don't realise at the time that you can actually be a bit strategic about how you go about yeah. approaching your infertility issues. So then we went to IVF. And what I didn't understand when we went into IVF was exactly what it entailed. So what I want to do with this book is to say, if you go to IVF, these are the things that you need to think about, what it's going to cost. There is a financial and an emotional toll. Absolutely. You will cope with them much better if you assess them and think about them beforehand. So one of the common things around IVF, one of my girlfriends had this conversation with me. She was like, I don't know when to stop. And they hadn't been successful. I don't know whether to go. Just keep going one more and one more and one more. Now, a good fertility specialist will give you the help to guide you through this. But if you start at the start saying, well, when we're in a rational frame of mind, how much can we really afford? Or how much time do we want to invest in this before we move on with the rest of our lives one way or the other? You can actually plan a little bit. And we did no planning. So, again, I felt like we were just going blind. And when I was an athlete, I loved everything planned. I loved getting my plan at the start of the year, a training, when our competition would be, and I knew what was happening. And this was totally befuddled me when I was going through fertility treatment that there seemed to be no way to know what was coming next and everything just rushes at you. So we did two rounds of IVF and then I fell pregnant and then I miscarried. And when we miscarried, we got a biopsy done and that baby, it turned out, was a little boy. So that suddenly made him so real to me. And that was really hard. And we'd seen his heartbeat. But he had a syndrome that meant that had he made it through, had he been born, he would have had a miserable existence. Nature was doing the right thing. So nature did the audit, as my IVF specialist pointed out. So that was great. But then we decided to do pre-implantation genetic testing for the next few rounds. And we were basically taken into a room and given a heap of information, told to read it and ask any questions. But that's not the right place to do it. And... I thought there's got to be a way to actually that people can sit in the comfort of their own home and know and this is going to be an option further down the track. So that was what I was trying to do. But the other thing around my journey is that it's really hard to find the words to tell people this is what you're going through. And I would get on planes to go places to work to commentate on the netball and I'd have in my bag a little to pack of my drugs mm-hmm. and it's terrifying to go through the airport security knowing you've got syringes and everything else and they were fine nothing was ever said but you just don't know and then I would get to a venue and I'd have to find a little fridge and put all my drugs in the fridge and everything is overlaid it's hard to tell people what you're doing because we still don't talk about it enough no, I don't think no, no. You know? I mean, I mean well, yeah, so from 35 years ago to now there's been a huge shift but still not enough I mean, as I said to you just before, I had your book this morning at home and I was getting on a, on public transport. I thought I can't have the book on its own, so I had to put it in a folder. Because <laughs> <laughs> maybe they thought I might want to be, that I was having trouble. <laughs> yes, exactly. And do you know what I found fascinating through this was that I found women really prepared to talk to me for the book, but I found men really reluctant to talk to me. Yet when you look at the stats, it's roughly equal mm, between men and women about, absolutely. you know, the causes of infertility. And something, question that gets asked a lot is, oh, whose fault is it? Is it your fault or your husband's fault? It's no one's fault. It's a factor, mm. right? So I want people to understand it. it's not fault, it's a factor. It's roughly equal between men and women as to whose factor contributes to it. Sometimes it's both. So let's get past that. Let's allow men to talk about their infertility without making it a massive curse on their masculinity. And there were two men I spoke to who had been diagnosed as infertile and they were magnificent and they were happy to talk. But there were other men that I spoke to who I really had to put 
push hard and I had to get their wives to promise to give them a foot massage and you can read into that whatever you like (laughs) (laughs) to get them to talk to me. And I felt really sad because these men still hadn't come to terms with it. And I think women have the language maybe to deal with. Men don't yet have that language. Well, I think, yeah, sadly today probably always has been that the male was the masculine of the species. Nothing could ever go wrong with it. I had a guy um, only last week who said, you know, since I learnt that my sperm wasn't so good, we can't have sex anymore. Oh, wow. Because I I can't get an erection. Yeah, and it's so sad because when you research into it, I mean, the technology now is so good that it's highly likely you'll still be able to father biologically parent your own children. But the two gentlemen I spoke to who were pleat azuspermia, that's the word I'm looking for, isn't it? Yes, that's right. You've learned from the book. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not so good on some of the big words. Um, (laughs) I know it's got zoo in it. (laughs) Anyway, both of them had children using donor sperm. Both of them freely admitted that it wasn't the family that they'd set out to create. But both of them said when the baby came out, that baby was mine and Mm. there was no two ways about it. And it was beautiful. It was such a lovely thing to hear that these men had been through so much. One of them was infertile because of a bout of mumps he had yeah. when he was a kid. So there's a childhood disease that you don't know it's going to impact yeah. your life so heavily down the track. But his kids are his. You know, he said, we laid skin on skin for hours while my wife, she'd been, had a Caesar and so she was being sick. That little girl, she's mine. And, you know, the human heart is capable of some pretty amazing oh, things. Absolutely. And in your book, you go well beyond your story. Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, it is comprehensive. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. Um, but, you know, it was amazing. You know, I put out a call on social media. Anyone who has had fertility treatment, I'd love to hear from you. So I knew a lot of my friends and family's stories and I bullied them to allow me to use them right. and I changed the name to where they insisted. To protect the innocent. Yes, yeah. so <laughs> or to speak, guilty. or the guilty. <laughs> but then people who I wouldn't know if I fell over them, they contacted me on social media, I called them and they told me their stories. And when you, like for me, I suffer from secondary or we suffer from secondary infertility, right? You do feel a sense of guilt that you're going through fertility treatment when you already have a kid, you no, know? Okay. You, you, you may feel that guilt. Yeah, you do feel wrong. that guilt. and then, But you also feel guilt by saying out loud, oh, we want to have a kid when we already have a kid. And you know that there are some people who can't. So I wanted to hear from people who never got their heart's desire. Mm. And I heard some from some people and their stories are just amazing and so inspirational. And I think those stories in particular will help a lot of people get through that next step if mm. they get to the end and they don't have the baby they so want. Yeah, the, I mean, the important thing that I say to patients and to my colleagues who say, why are you keeping on going? People have to get to the end of the journey and look back and say, well, I did everything possible. Didn't succeed, but I did everything possible. And that does help with the moving on process, doesn't it? Mm. And I read some really interesting stuff around if you go into your treatment with some thought to what a plan B is if you're not successful, it does take some of the stress off. Mm. So you know that you will have a life beyond this. This is what it might look like. And people who do that are at slightly higher success rates when they do because they take so much of the stress, stress off away. themselves. Yeah, I do believe that stress plays a part. And that's why in IVF clinics, the good IVF clinics, there is support mm. that minimises what is a horrible process, but minimises is not the right word, reduces, I'll call it. You can't minimise it. And to a so, degree, you never avoid it. But to be able to learn how to deal with it, I think is so important. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that. And we'll talk again. Thank you. Don't forget that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1-800-111-483 or by emailing him 
michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.